Hello and welcome to Shameless. That song has been stuck in my head all week. <laughs> the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you, the lazy bones who didn't get a new jingle this week. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, the mummy blogger who outed herself as a troll, plus American rapper T.I. courts waves of controversy after saying he forces his teenage daughter to undergo virginity tests and then the debate around dresses with pockets that precisely none of you asked for but we're giving you anyway. But first, Zara, how was your week? I had a great week. It was a good week because it was a little week, mm. a tiny little one. Yeah. For those in Melbourne, we had a long weekend done here. Michelle and I took Monday, Tuesday off, which was really, really nice. Thank you for everybody's patience in our Facebook group. We did put a post in there to say, look, we're going to try and take a couple of days off work. We will be approving stuff in the Facebook group, but be patient with regards to the conversations that can happen. And everyone was great. So thank you for that. Mm. So I just went down the coast for a couple of days, which was lovely. I had a, <laughs> I, um, I'm going to be the world's biggest hypocrite right now Ooh. because I think one of my pet hates is when people decide to tell you their dream. Oh, yeah, that is annoying. Because it's I very think narcissistic. It's it's <laughs> yes, it's rooted in nothing. Like there's no sense of reality around it. It's not relevant. But <laughs> oh god, what was but, your dream? You haven't told me this. I know. I say it was saving it. Last night I had a dream slash nightmare that was like so close to when I was waking up that they had rehired the Honey Badger to be the Bachelor again, <laughs> and Brittany Hockley was recast. And I woke up in a sweat, and I was like, "No, Channel Ten, how could you be so stupid?" <laughs> I think that is Brittany Hockley's nightmare for sure 100 percent. so there was that apart from that my week was wonderful i do pretty have- eventful week if that's making the top of the list <laughs> hugely eventful <laughs> my recommendation this week is an obvious one because friends you are listening to this on november 11 and it is well into christmas season which means my recommendation is start listening to christmas music i don't know if i agree with that are we considering christmas season the beginning of november like, now totally christmas season Absolutely. is definitely just december no, december not. 1 to december 25 and that's it it's not it's like November 1 through January 1. <laughs> I don't want to come across like a Christmas Grinch, but, but I don't like Christmas carols outside of the one week before Christmas. The one week before Christmas, I'm in the mood, I'm in the spirit, jolly, merry, etc., etc. However, you playing Christmas jingles while I'm trying to write a column or prepare for this episode, not a fun time. I love Christmas carols more than anything. I love Christmas more than anything. Michelle actually is a bit of a Christmas Grinch, which is so unfortunate because people that love Christmas are better people, I think, generally. Because they're happier. They're more jovial. They love the world. (laughs) I would argue half the time I come in here more jovial than you do. (laughs) How was your week? It was a really good week. We actually had dinner with our mums, your dad, and our boyfriends and your brothers. I don't want to forget about them. That was lovely. That was at your family home. Yes, my mother and father's home. Thank you, Trish and David, for having us once again, <laughs> considering they used to house our podcast for about a year and a half. Yeah, they really did. It was nice to return back to where it all began. <laughs> but we ended up finishing dinner around 10 o'clock and then we took a selfie and I put it on Instagram. It's one of our most liked photos on Instagram ever. If you want to go check that out, we're at Shameless Podcast. Yeah, and there's no way for you to know if that's a lie or not because likes don't exist. <laughs> so who knows? Unless you're on a desktop, in which case definitely go look and it is a lie. Yeah, that is also true. (laughs) I do have a recommendation. It's a bit of an odd one this week. 
I love this perfume. It is such a cheap one. It was actually given to me by my boyfriend, Mitch. He got gifted it for free at work. (laughs) So it was pretty dire straits to begin with. I started using it because my regular perfume ran out, which is quite expensive. This is by Michael Bublé, (laughs) by invitation, rose gold. And I'm telling you right now, I have gotten so many compliments on it, not just from people like passers-by, but we got coffee with a beauty editor who is very well respected in the industry a couple of weeks ago. And when I've lent in to give her a kiss on the cheek, she commented on the perfume as well. We still haven't conclusively worked out whether it was my (laughs) scent from afar. (laughs) Just wafting over into her nostrils. I actually do concur that that perfume does get so many comments to the point that I'm always like I'm so snarky about it when it happens now like we walked into a meeting the other day and someone said it like god that perfume's beautiful and I was like yeah a bit strong though eh (laughs) you hate it because every time you're sitting there and your perfume never gets compliments it's always mine and my perfume gets offended like it's a beautiful smelling perfume yeah so there you go guys by invitation rose gold from Michael Bublé a quick question about recommendations on things you were gifted I did see a commentary in our Facebook group this week from people who were like I I don't want recommendations from people who didn't pay for them because would you recommend that if you were $40 poorer? Well, actually, how much is it? Because I was gifted, I don't even know. Let's We'll do a live little test. If it's under 40, 100% would go and buy it again. Actually, if it was under 50, I get so many compliments on it that why the hell not? It probably doesn't even exist online. It's probably some magic. <laughs> it's from Chemist Warehouse. Oh, it has a rating of 2.7 online. <laughs> 2.7. Take this recommendation with a grain of salt. Uh, it's twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, hell yeah, I'd buy that again. It just gets so many compliments. Why the hell wouldn't I? Do you think it's more of a Regina George Mean Girls kind of setup where it's so strong that people feel the need to comment because they don't know what to do with it? I thought you were going to like equate me to Regina George no. and that people just want to give me compliments. No, but you know when it's just like, oh, fuck, there's something so strong in my periphery or in my radius. How are we going to test this? If only we had like a global sniffer system where I could spray it and everyone could give me their <laughs> like thoughts. Spray it into the Facebook group. I do want to say... I don't have a jingle for you, a new jingle. I'm a little bit disappointed. I was gearing up ready for this big reveal of Zara's rebuttal to my jingle. I just think it's something that needs time and space and patience. I think quality can't be rushed. Okay, well, I'm more than happy to keep using Beach Hero for as long as you like. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Let's get into it. We are starting today, Zara, with one of the more bizarre stories I've seen this entire year, we are starting with Clemmy Hooper, aka Mum of Daughters, admitting to being a troll about her own family. I think that summarizes it pretty well. <laughs> Fucking hell, this is a crazy story. Let's go back a little bit because Clemmy Hooper is an incredibly well known blogger in the UK. I would not be surprised if many of our listeners hadn't actually heard of her yes. if they didn't have kids. I know some of our listeners who do have kids who spend time in that more mummy blogger sphere have heard of her. But she is one of the most well known influencers in the UK. Like, this is not small scale, this is huge scale. Yes, so she is known as Mother of Daughters on Instagram. She has about 700,000 followers. Her husband, Simon, is even more popular than she is. He has a million followers and he's known as father of daughters. Clever. Very clever. (laughs) I mean, it works for them, clearly. I actually first came across Clemmy Hooper last year when I heard her on an episode of The High Low Zara. And she went on that podcast to talk about how she had recently deleted Instagram because the trolling she was receiving was so catastrophically bad. Yeah, so she was accused early to mid last year of exploiting her daughters in order to gain 
campaign influencer jobs. Mm-hmm. So was accused of using her children in branded posts and a lot of people felt very uncomfortable about that. There was heaps and heaps of conversations on Mumsnet, which is sort of like a mums forum online, also very big in the UK, where people did accuse her of this. And that's when she was very affronted by those accusations and tried to shut down her Instagram account because of it. I have no clue when she rejoined though. No, I think it was around this time last year, but this is where it gets fucking weird, right? She joins back on Instagram and around this time in 2018, apparently decided to join a blogging forum called Tattle Life. Now, blogging forum is actually a very rosy way to refer to Tattle Life. Tattle Life is basically a trolling platform that allows trolling to happen on a mass scale to many, many individuals. Yeah, it's really interesting timing, actually. I think the first time I ever came across Tattle Life or heard about what it was, was when the UK journalist Sally Hughes. Now, for those who haven't heard of Sally Hughes, She is also quite a well-known journalist, beauty journalist Mm. over in the UK. She has a really popular podcast, has written some amazing books. And she posted a video to Twitter, which I was enthralled by and not in a good way, where she spoke directly to the camera with a written statement. It went for like 10 minutes about how this forum had ruined her life, that there was a cluster of women who had tried meticulously to take her down. And we're not just talking about nasty comments on the internet. We're talking about very measured, decisive ways to bring her down, posting links to her family, her address, um, denigrating her friends, denigrating her relationship, her strained relationship with her late parents, like really a gross, aggressive stuff. And she said she had been traumatized by the entire thing. So I think that's really important to know the background on what Tattle Life is and what it does to people. It's beyond caustic. And there is currently a petition with 25,000 signatures to actually have Tattle Life banned from the internet and deleted in its entirety. That's the level of nastiness that we are talking about. So Clem Hooper joined this blogging forum. She says anonymously under a pseudonym, what was the pseudonym, Zara? I think it was Wanderlust. It was Alice in Wanderlust. Alice in Wanderlust to what she says, defend her family via this anonymous account. Over the past year, though, she has then begun trolling her friends, her own husband under this name, calling him, I think she called him an A-class twat. She did. Calling other influencers disgusting names, even posting slightly racially motivated things about people of colour, just above and beyond anything. She ended up being caught out as being the person behind Alice in Wonderlust when I think the posts that she had were geotagged. She announced on Instagram that she was in Korea. Caribbean, and then Alice in Wonderlust posts began appearing in the Caribbean as well. And it's obviously not a super common place to travel to. And people started connecting the dots that this Alice in Wonderlust person, who is always so positive about Clemmy, might be Clemmy. Yeah. And I think the most interesting part about this is I can't glean at the moment if her posts or her comments were Gia tagged per se, or if she actually referenced in her trolling account that she was in St. Lucia as well, which is the most stupid part about this. I can't get over it. It's so, so stupid, but I guess that's not even nearly the most important point. When rumors started circulating, other influencers started jumping on the bandwagon and encouraging this person to come forward, not naming her, but telling her to come out because they think they knew it was her. Her statement said, I know there are some rumors circulating and I want to take the opportunity to explain. Earlier this year, I became aware of a website that had thousands of comments about my family and I. Reading them made me feel extremely paranoid and affected me much more than I knew at the time. I decided without telling anyone else that I would make an anonymous account so that this group of people would believe I was one of them so that maybe I could change their opinions from the inside to defend my family and I. Defend my family or defend me? (laughs) She's trolling her own husband. It's 
Well, exactly right. And it's like this absurd mentality that in order to protect yourself, you need to rip everybody else down. Yes, absolutely. These, like, I can't even wrap my head around this story. It's so Black Mirror-like in that the husband is also an influencer. So he's now come out, Simon, on his father of daughter's account to write a statement that is also very negative about his wife. So he wrote this. So some people in the corner of the internet may want to know my response to what's happened over the last couple of days. Frankly, I'm in a crap position as I only really have two options. One, to stay silent, to protect my wife, and knowing that if I do, the silence will be deafening. Or two, to comment on something I had no knowledge of. It's not a fun place to be. He went on to write, what I do know is that online actions have real world consequences. This has impacted our family and it will take some time to recover. That said, away from these squares, the world keeps spinning, the leaves are turning, and I have four girls that need their parents. I'll be here tomorrow doing what I do. Imagine finding out that the person who has been trolling you was in fact the person you go to bed with every night and sleep next to. And it's strange how she would probably justify it because if that was me and I was trying to justify it, I would say to my husband, oh, I was trying to throw them off the scent. That's why I threw you under the bus too. She didn't throw herself under the bus in order to protect herself. What about that be the first thing you would do? Absolutely. I'll go for myself, not go for my husband. And it actually does make you think if there was sort of (laughs) – undealt with resentment that she was actually dealing with through this account? Well, her husband has more than double the following almost than she does. And I wonder if there's something there that she is resentful for her husband being more successful, particularly given she only works as a midwife one day a week and this is her job outside of that. Her husband has a full-time job and this is his side hustle. So I wonder if that's a source of marital tension. And added to that, he didn't start his account before hers. His is a spin-off. Oh. Of hers, which would hurt, but that is a bye. This is the dumbest. This is the dumbest story ever. Exactly. I do want to say this is interesting timing because on Thursday we released our most popular in conversation episode ever. It's our most downloaded episode with Sophie Keisha, and Sophie is of course a parenting blogger and a parenting influencer. And we did discuss very briefly the intensity of anonymous trolling in that episode. And one comment I found really fascinating from Sophie is I said, "Oh well, we." We know that the people doing this trolling are awful individuals and no influencer ever falls to that level. And Sophie had a little comment that maybe we should have extrapolated on Zara where she said, actually, no, I know of influencers and I know of people in the sphere in Australia who do the trolling. And I just think that is so fascinating that maybe it's not just Clemmy Hooper. In fact, I would put money on the fact that it's not just Clemmy Hooper. And while I find that point curious and interesting and very sad, I think the thing I struggle with in these conversations is not just how horrific acts like this are, because that much is obvious, but how I think it just distorts our more general idea of what trolling actually is. I don't think we ever have conversations about who trolls actually are or what they do beyond the unmasking of people with fake accounts. I would argue a far more regular kind of trolling isn't people creating fake accounts to target others with decision and malice, but people who say nasty enough things beside their names who would never consider themselves trolls. It's funny because we've had a few people comment on things that we've done under shameless media in the past. And they often write quite acidic things online and then they always follow it up with a comment like, oh, well, that's just my opinion or just my take. I won't say anything more. But those people are kind of trolling by design of being so negative and so nasty to another person online and feeling the need to even to even write that out and put it into the public domain, I think is a really interesting decision. I agree with you. I find it slightly upsetting that the reality is that the average troll is not some sad sack 
sitting behind a computer with no friends deciding to troll because they've got nothing better to do with their time. Really, the troll might be the average person walking among us. A survey of Americans found that more than a quarter of the population admitted to writing malicious online comments. Do you think it's the title or the word troll that throws people off? Because I think we've framed trolling and trolls as people who are wired differently to you or I, Mm. that they exist differently, um, who exist in dark corners of the internet, who live in dark rooms, who are typing away on like blindingly fluorescent desktops. But in reality, it's exactly as you say, they're on the train next to you typing on their phone and we don't actually picture that image of a troll. I think we actually need to broaden our definition and perspective on trolls because it includes so many of us. I think one example that comes to mind that we've been talking about a bit in the last few weeks, Mish, is that we released an In Conversation a few weeks ago and one of the comments on that In Conversation thread was something like, oh, I've never liked this person. I don't really understand why people do, but I'm not going to actually say my thoughts on the matter. Which was hilarious because it's like you've literally just said your thoughts on the matter and put it into a group with 31,000 people. I would define that as nasty and as trolling, but that person would probably be very surprised that they've been called a troll. Yes, because they always excuse it going, that's just my input. I'm not going to say anything more. It's like, no, no, you've already done that. You've said everything. It's so weird. I think as soon as you're putting a comment into a public space that is negative about someone where that person might read it, actually, regardless of whether or not they'll read it, that's trolling. Like, why do you feel the need to put that negativity out into the world? One last thing I do want to finish on, Zara, is that psychological studies have found that trolls, number one, tend to be male more than female, which I find really interesting. They also show higher levels of psychopathy. So low levels of empathy, low levels of guilt, low level of responsibility for their actions. So if you go back to a troll and say you're a troll, they'll probably completely deny it and not be able to see your point of view whatsoever. Which I think exactly ties back to the fact that if we were to point to certain different people who are trolling and saying you're a troll, they would be genuinely astounded by the accusation. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you five stories from the rough and tumble, the roughy tumbly news cycle. Michelle, Ew, I hate that. Roughy tumbly. What, dirty? No, no not just like <laughs> dorky. <laughs> that seems unlike me. <laughs> Michelle Andrews, what have you got for us this week? My first story, people think Helen Mirren is Keanu Reeves' new girlfriend. This is from Indy 100. Did you catch this story this week, Zara? Absolutely. So Keanu Reeves has not had a girlfriend in a very, very long time. At least he hasn't had one publicly. Well, he hasn't walked a red carpet with one in, what did they say, like 20 years yes. nearly. Yeah. So Keanu is dating an artist by the name of Alexandra Grant. Yes. And they looked so... I mean, I hate saying, I hate projecting love on people, but they you see footage of them walking along the red carpet. They didn't drop hands the entire time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I also found it really interesting that Alexandra Grant hasn't dyed her hair right, so she's let herself go naturally grey, and she's actually younger than Keanu Reeves. But people were pretending that she was his grandmother or that she must be his mother, and there was a lot of commentary online that she was so much older than him. And even by design of confusing a 49-year-old woman in Alexandra with a 74-year-old woman in Helen Mirren is curious to me that as soon as a woman isn't partaking in this Hollywood ideal of beauty, dyeing her hair, getting Botox, all of the trappings that come with Hollywood, we consider her an elderly woman when really she's middle-aged. Where was that commentary? Was it on social? On social, there was a viral tweet from Whitney Cummings that said the fact that some people are mistaking Keanu Reeves' age-appropriate girlfriend with Helen Mirren is wild. In Hollywood, if you're not 24, you might as well be 70. Isn't that interesting? Mm. I don't even know if it's got to do with the trappings of Hollywood 
motherhood so much as the trappings of being a middle-aged woman. Like it's not as common for women to leave their hair natural, to Mm. leave it grey. Like you just don't see that as much anymore and it's so beautiful to see on a red carpet in an industry that you just would never see. I did think they looked similar in terms of their faces though. Is that crazy? No, I don't think so. I mean, you can definitely clearly see that Alexandra is far younger than Helen Mirren. They do bear a resemblance. I think it's mostly though in the kind of clothes they wear and the way they style their hair. And also, I think some publications picked some very choice photos to put next to each other where they did look quite similar. Helen Mirren obviously looking just a tiny bit older. Absolutely. My second story, Carl Stefanovic returns to today as Georgie Gardner turns to news. That is from Nine News, Zara. How do we feel about this one? Well, look... I don't really care about this story, (laughs) but you not only put the rumours of Carl Stefanovic returning to today in the Facebook group, you also pushed me to put this in the quick and dirty. So please sell it to me. Why should I care? I can't when you make me do this because I can never sell it up. (laughs) I care about the story not because I care about breakfast television, but because I care about Carl Stefanovic. Like I care about the idea that it almost seems like they intentionally rested him for a year only to deliberately bring him back. Yeah, I do agree. I think this was kind of semi-intentional in that Carl Stefanovic went through a marriage breakdown, as many of the listeners would recall. That really damaged his PR with women and predominantly it is women watching the Today Show. Totally. For those who actually don't know who Carl Stefanovic is or who may not be across why this might actually be a big deal for some of us, Michelle, <laughs> Carl Stefanovic hosted the Today Show for a huge number of years in Australia, was arguably the most well-known personality on television. He won a gold Logie. He won a gold Logie. He went through a pretty high-profile divorce. He remarried about a year later and it was when he remarried in Mexico while he was on his honeymoon that he received the phone call that the publicity around him and his new marriage was too much, that he had been through too much controversy and it wasn't a good face for the network to put on morning TV. Yes, and I think it's incredibly clever for them to have given him this year just to be quiet and not in everyone's faces. I think the best way to save a PR disaster like this, and I mean, people might roll their eyes, PR disaster. I think there is a trope of a successful man divorcing his equally aged wife for a much younger woman, I think that trope does really affect your reputation and it would really affect your likability amongst viewers. And I think the best possible thing they could have done is rested him for a year, let people get over it and then bring him back and inject him back into the show. Yeah. And I think people will be listening to this wondering whether we think it was as deliberate as it might've been. And I don't think that Carl Stefanovic was sacked a year ago and they thought just then, oh, we have the intention of bringing him back Mm. in a year. I think it was very much Carl Stefanovic is sacked. Let's put Georgie Gardner and Deborah Knight in that chair. It's a bit of a risk having two women. They were the first two women to front breakfast television, which is a fact I think is being ignored right now that that only lasted a year, um, which is disappointing for sure. But the ratings weren't there and Mm. nobody can argue with that. And then I think if they thought that risk didn't pay off, well, we've always got Kyle to come back in a year once he has, like you say, been rested. Mm. There were reports from the Daily Telegraph this week as well that he is taking a $1 million pay cut for this job. Though that said, don't cry too many tears for Kyle because he was on a reported $3 million package. The tiniest violin (laughs) in the world is playing right now. Interestingly, what the Daily Telegraph reported was that the $1 million pay cut came down to a $1 $1 million image bonus that the network were going to give him if he kept his image, quote unquote. What? Isn't this an strange? image bonus. This is what they're calling it. The, the Daily Telegraph have called this an image bonus and that's how Channel 9 can justify the $1 million pay cut because they argue that the network could withhold that $1 million if Stefanovic failed to achieve standards expected of him. 
How do they – I would love to know how you measure the image bonus. You how don't. do you measure that whatsoever? It's like you've been in too many headlines. You can, you can take that pay cut. <laughs> do you reckon they could measure it by Daily Mail headlines? Totally. Paparazzi photos of so. you kissing a woman on a yacht. Well, he hasn't been anywhere. Yeah, he so hasn't true. even been in pap photos. Alison Langdon is co-hosting with Stefanovic, which people also aren't really mentioning. She's a very strong talent in her mm. own right. And it will be interesting to see this dynamic. One thing I did want to touch on before we moved on, Michelle, have I told you this story well? I mean, yeah. I'm pretty interested. I think it's unfortunate that Georgie Gardner and Deborah Knight were not the correct pair. I think it's important to remember, though, just because they didn't work together, I don't think the chemistry was there or the dynamic was there on that show. I do still think there's room for two female co-hosts of a morning breakfast show. It's very much a case of the glass cliff, right? They were given a not very good product and expected to revive it and Mm. they couldn't. Mm. And it was a very tough job to be given. What I was going to say before we rounded this out was I found it interesting. In the last year or so, obviously Channel 9 has brought out Fairfax and there was a lot going on on Twitter around the fact that the weekend newspapers, the Sydney Morning Herald, ran with this Today Show opening on the front cover of the paper while New South Wales was shrouded in bushfires and someone had died. Interesting. And I think there's a lot of discontent and disquiet about that fact because – I think a huge concern about Channel 9 buying the Fairfax papers was that sense of independence and it's a pretty staunch message they're sending if they're willing to put Carl and Alison's face beyond images of the bushfires. Mm. My third story, The Bachelorette host Osha misses Angie Kent's finale episode. That is from the Daily Telegraph. Zara, this story is so interesting. Osha Ginsberg missed the most important episode of The Bachelorette season because Audrey, his wife, was about to give birth to their son. It is a very interesting story. So I came across this story because somebody posted it in our Facebook group, Reality Check, which is our reality TV recap podcast Facebook group. And it was the first time in the history of the Australian Bachelorette that a host was not there for the finale. Yes. I think the most curious thing about this story for me is he told the Daily Telegraph in the last week of filming, Audrey had contractions seven minutes apart, so it was going to happen at any moment. Everyone banded together and figured out a way to make a show work without me being there for the final moments. What's interesting, like I just said, is that he was also filming The Masked Singer when he said Audrey went into labour. Isn't that weird? At the same time, because he did tweet when The Masked Singer was on, FYI, when we shot this scene in the ad break, I snuck backstage for a wee, checked my phone and saw a message from my wife that she'd gone into labour. I went back inside, shouted, take it off for robot, then drove very safely home into the hospital. So... Both shows were being shot at the same time. Isn't that unusual? Especially given he would be very, very busy and the finale would be at least interstate or maybe overseas for The Bachelorette. It's quite confusing timing for mine. I have no idea how this all played out. I have no idea the filming schedules. I'm sure once this is out there and people might start connecting the dots, Channel 10 and Osha will probably clarify. But I think on first impressions, I'm just a little bit confused. That said, taking this story at face value, it is very lovely that a story about paternity leave is out there, that he's very open to miss a huge... Uh, moment in his career, it happens twice a year, a very important moment for the network and for them to say it's fine for you not to be there. I absolutely love having public discussions around paternity leave. Particularly, I know this is a long bow to draw, Zara, but a couple of weeks ago when we did discuss Lunig's cartoons and that very controversial cartoon he drew a few years ago about women and childcare, I think the more we can elevate conversations around men being equal caregivers to their children is really important. Some of the quotes I absolutely loved were, I am so lucky I have a work 
workplace that was so supportive of me being there. I'm so grateful I work with people who understand there are other things in life and this was something I could not miss. I think paternity leave is really something we should talk about in our country. It is super important, not just for the health and well-being of your partner, but also the baby and you. I love that. I think we always discuss paternity leave in terms of, oh, well, be there to support your female partner and the mother of the child, but be there because you're the dad. Like what an incredible moment. And it would suck to miss the birth of your baby because you're at work. My fourth story, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston say a lot of guys think every woman wants to sleep with them. That's from The Guardian. So this was a super interesting story. I actually recommended it in the newsletter this week, not because I thought it was the best story I've ever read, but it was one that intrigued me a heap, Michelle. Yes. Written by one of our favorite writers, Hadley Friedman. This went to town very subtly, not very overtly, very subtly on Witherspoon and Aniston. Of course, Witherspoon and Aniston are working together on a new Apple Plus series. It's all about morning television. It does take a heavy Me Too slant, Zara. It's kind of a similar storyline to the Matt Lauer NBC story, but they say it's not based on that. It's kind of like a loose interpretation of what it's like to be a female co-host who has a male co-host who has been accused of some pretty depraved things. Exactly. And so Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston have been relatively vocal, and I say that lightly about the Me Too movement and issues around Hollywood and Time's Up. But in this story, and we'll put it in our show notes because we really recommend reading just for the subtlety of Freeman grilling them about the fact that their feminism or their activism in this case feels a little light. Mm. And I think Hadley Freeman tries to talk to them about their experience with sexual harassment or misconduct in Hollywood. And she's very careful to say, I'm never one to put a woman on the spot and say, tell me your experience because that's not my job. But it's like Aniston and Witherspoon open the can of worms and then shut it down very, very quickly and have this very fluffy interpretation of the consequences of sexual harassment. Is that the is that what the picture that you gleaned? Definitely. It was really conflicting reading this because I read the first few paragraphs and I actually turned to you, Zara, and said, this is catty. Like I almost feel like it's very harsh on these two women who have by all accounts, made a pretty powerful series. I felt like Hadley Freeman was potentially a little bit unfair with some of the ways she depicted them. I think she almost, in some in some aspects of that piece, depicted them as silly schoolgirls yes. uh, who lack critical thinking skills. That's exactly how they were painted, like very flighty, fickle, thoughtless. Giggly. Giggly girls who overly complimented each other all the time Mm. and were a bit stupid. I also felt conflicted because I'm always generally conflicted about this idea of light activism. It's kind of our lives. A light um, feminism because it's like, well, this still serves a purpose. Does it need to serve every single purpose? And I'm not going to get the answer right now, but does it have to think critically all the time? And if it did think very, very critically and had heaps of nuance, would it reach the masses in a way that a show like this is? I don't know. Mm, I don't know either. I did feel... I loved the piece. Don't get me wrong. I think Hadley is an amazing writer. I'm not sure if this was entirely fair. It was also quite short, which really struck me as interesting because as I was reading, I'm like, okay, this is going to be quite a meaty analysis. But I gleaned that the interview itself was very short and she didn't have much to go off. And for that reason, it probably informed her tone throughout the entire piece. Well, for that reason, the conversation was probably very surfacey too, which informed much of what she wanted to say. Yeah. My last headline for today's Quick and Dirty, perfectly labelled 
labelled containers, a turntable for spreads and a secret snack drawer. Inside Beck Judd's very organised kitchen pantry after she hires a company to tidy it up. That is from Daily Mail. <laughs> that is a fucking tongue twister. I know, unlike them. Hey, we are secretly obsessed with Beck Judd's, or not so secretly now, Beck Judd's upcoming renovation. It was so funny. I said to you the other day, I have been a long time fan of Beck Judd's The Style School. Mm-hmm. For the, and I say long term, like I was there for her first ever like Paran renovation. She's done like four series really? of these. Yes, I've been, I'm no bandwagoner on this. I'm a bandwagoner generally. <laughs> Look at but, you wagging your finger but, around in the but air. But not on Big Judd Style School. She's recently renovated her house and it looks amazing. But I think she sold the rights to the renovation revealed to Nine Honey, which means that they have to like produce videos around it and it's all going live mid-November. And I have been like zooming in on her, on her Instagram stories to try and get like tiny details of the house because I'm a freak that's do you why. even care about what is it about this is it the interior design thing for you because i like like i'm i'm interested i'm on board i'm ready for the big reveal i'm like you i'm one of <laughs> however <laughs> is it the, the interior <laughs> is it the interior design aspect or the beck judd influencer glamour glittery celebrity aspect i would say 80% interior design. Like, oh. I want to see what she does with it. Since oh, when have you liked interior <laughs> design? You're going to throw that at me. Since always, I have interests you don't know about. Name one cool place to get interiors from that isn't like Ikea. <laughs> Greenhouse Interiors is an Instagram account that Becca always has. <laughs> anyway, I'm such a freak. I know actually like obscene amounts of information about the style Give school. Give me something else. Um, About what? Give me like a tidbit. About... Style school. Oh, about the style school. So she's done it. I think she did like a Cheltenham or Mentone renovation in Melbourne. She did her last one, which was it was inspired by a Balinese villa they once stayed in right. years before they moved into this Brighton house. They've also done a Paran renovation, I think. So and do now they this- live in these houses while they renovate it, or no. is it like sick of like projects on the side? So sometimes they've been projects on the side, but this is their main house. Okay, wow, you just jumped up really <laughs> excited about that. So eighty percent interior design because I'm I'm very designy, <laughs> and twenty percent. Beck Judd glamour hype that's it because I'm on board but I'm not on board to your level where you turned to me and went damn it they're revealing everything on the 20th of November I don't even know if that date's right but yes it was like a good month away yeah and that's the night of our live show and you were somehow (laughs) upset about that and I was like we are not moving our live show so that you can Can see Beck Judd's renovation I wonder if it actually is on the night of our live show we should check that out because if it is maybe we'll just do like a live stream or like publish it on the screen behind us and like click through together let's do a live podcast recording from Beck's new (laughs) (laughs) maybe we'll get Beck on an conversation episode and your dreams will all come true because we can record from the house itself Zara played my cards too early I need to act more chill anyway for those who are interested in the style school (laughs) I can create a thread in the Facebook group if you like (laughs) greenhouse interiors is that what it's called bye (laughs) (laughs) is that you trying to wrap today's quick and dirty with bye I need to get out of this Coming up after the break, the rapper who seems preoccupied with his daughter's hymen and then a debate on the merits and shortcomings of dresses with pockets. But first, a word from today's sponsor. This week, rapper T.I. went on the Ladies Like Us podcast and informed host Nazanin Mandy and Nadia Moham that every year he likes to take his 18-year-old daughter, Deja Harris, to the gynecologist to make sure her hymen is intact. Here's a small snippet from the episode, which has since been pulled from podcast streaming apps. 
Not only have we had the conversation, <laughs> oh. we have yearly trips to the gynecologist to check her height. Oh, you hey, <laughs> I'm done with you right now. So, you know, uh, do you go with her? She's a prisoner. Yes, I, yes, I go with her. <laughs> Somebody check on Deja. I go with her. <laughs> She's a prisoner. <laughs> so let me tell you, right? So, so this is one time oh, we no. go. I think this might have been after her 16th birthday. And this is what we do. Like, you know, right after the birthday, we celebrate. And, we go and check know, her hymen after. And then, <laughs> what the fuck? You know, usually like the day after the party, <laughs> she's enjoying her gifts. <laughs> I put a sticky note on the dope. Guy no. <laughs> Tomorrow, 9.30. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Zara, obviously people went wild over those claims and his quotes in general on Twitter and on Facebook. Of course, the likes of the New York Times and The Guardian have since eviscerated T.I. for what he said and he himself has gone to ground over the whole ordeal. What did you make of it all? It's really interesting reading about this story first and reading the quotes before you actually listen to the audio because yes. I imagine a lot of people haven't actually listened to that audio because it's been the episode has been pulled. The quotes look horrendous, like mm-hmm. so, so terrible. But what surprised me the most is when we sat down and listened to it together, they actually sounded so much worse because there was incessant giggling, rapping, his disgusting admission. Hysterical lies. After. Yeah. And I, I don't know exactly how to feel about that aspect of things because, of course, the audio is so difficult to listen to and the main person we want to focus on here is, of course, the creep that is T.I. However, the laughing from the female interviewers over the top of him was borderline abhorrent. I know that you can be shocked and I know that you can be caught off guard with things like this and I am one who will always put my hand up and say I don't always react in the moment when I'm put on the spot with things like this the way I would like to. However, this wasn't awkward giggling or this wasn't a failure to stop that conversation in its tracks. This was almost pushing the conversation forward, making it okay, making him feel comfortable for something that is disgraceful. Well, that's exactly what I think. I think they ended up creating a safer space the more time went on for him to continue telling that story and it's one thing right for him to treat his daughter like this it's another thing entirely for him to tell that story publicly and make her an example and an embarrassment of I mean part of me is glad that the story is public because I think he can sent he can get a sense of how horrific Uh, his own actions have been and his daughter can feel supported but she's had to be the example out of this the women who hosted the podcast I really struggled with they released a statement on Friday Australian time saying we were completely caught off guard slash shocked and looking back we should have reacted much differently in the moment Mm. for you or I who spend a lot of our week broadcasting I can kind of see how you could potentially be mid-interview and someone say something. And like you say, you react in not a way that you want to because you are caught off guard. Yes. I would like to back us and say our response would be, to, to go silent or to go awkward, yes. you would hear an awkwardness in the conversation that wasn't there rather than hysterical laughing and further questions about the details of the story. I think I also have less sympathy for a podcast format. If this was live radio, I would be more forgiving when it's out and you can't do anything about it. It's already up and you don't have time to think. With a podcast, are and with what we put out, we have that reflection period where we record something, we go away, we listen to it with fresh ears and we edit everything ourselves. I know that they might have a different setup. It might be an editor listening. Regardless, there are a series of mistakes that have been made here to let this go public. But I agree with you. I'm happy that it has in that this man is going to be held to account and he's going to be 
very rightly lambasted for what he said. But on the flip side of this, if you scroll through Deja Harris's Instagram comments, I feel sick for her. There are so many men talking about her hymen, talking about her vagina, talking about her sex life now. And I think the fact that her father went on a public platform and discussed her body and her her sexual history in this way is disgraceful. And I, I know this is like a very heavy topic to talk about, but it's just beyond belief that this man is the father of six children and thought it was appropriate to go on a podcast and discuss his 18-year-old hymen. It feels like we're, it's years ago. Like I genuinely can't believe it's happening in this kind of year. For context about the process itself, like the virginity test itself, the World Health Organization called it a violation of the human rights of girls and women and noted that the practice can be detrimental to women and girls' physical, physiological and social well-being. Jen Gunter, who is a pretty high-profile American gynecologist who you might have heard her name because she's the one that very famously takes on uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and all those vaginal jade eggs tweeted, the hymen is no virginity indicator. 50% of sexually active teens do not have a disrupted hymen. The hymen is often very flexible. So there are thoughts and feelings around how horrendous the comments are. And then there are facts around the science of what he's doing. And none of it, not one part of it makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, this is a guy who clearly isn't too wrapped up in the science of it all because he continually called the vulva the uvula. Where? <laughs> in, the, in the same interview. Oh my he God. repeatedly called the vulva a uvula. It's uncorrected like, even funny but this like this it's is so bad. this is the absurdity of it though it's yeah. so disgusting and so absurd that it almost doesn't seem real and i often find myself in cases like this when the examples are so extreme wondering what the validity of the conversation is because it's so extreme. But I think what I need to do is realize that perhaps these attitudes might not be as extreme as I think. I operate in an echo chamber. I operate in a bubble. And while there might not be dads out there going to force their girls to take hymen tests, there are attitudes that are quite similar that could very well lead to that. Yeah, that are founded on the same foundation as what this is rooted in. For those who are listening to this and going, okay, I know T.I.'s name. I've kind of seen him around. Who is he? T.I.'s real name is Clifford Joseph Harris Jr. He's 39 years old. He's, of course, a rapper, like we said. He's also the father of six children to three different mothers. He is known best, Zara, for his smash hit, your favorite phrase, (laughs) smash hit whatever you like, where he ironically raps so graphically about sex that I will not even include the lyric here because my grandmother listens to this podcast. But that's the interesting parallel and the interesting dichotomy at play that this is a man who apparently is not comfortable with his daughter having sex outside of marriage or sex whatsoever yet is willing to rap about women as objects and objectify them at every turn how do you feel about that hypocrisy not just in this case right but in hip-hop in general or in rap in general because it doesn't feel like a necessarily isolated incident no I think it's so common to feel like the women in your circle and the women who are your daughters or mother or sisters whatever are somehow on a different are on a different plane to women that you just meet out on the street. You only have respect for the women that you know personally. But is it a respect thing? That's what I keep coming back to. I wonder if it's actually a respect thing or just a possession thing or more of a case of you know what men are capable of because perhaps you've been around ones who haven't treated men well and therefore it's a fear thing rather than a respect thing. Mm, And it's probably also an ownership thing. One of the quotes that really stood out to me from this, which was the absolute worst, I mean, all of it was disgusting, but this really stood out to me when T.I. was describing his conversations with his daughter's gynecologist and said, just check the hymen, please, and give me back my results expeditiously. 
that use of my, my results really really indicates that he seems some kind of ownership over his 18-year-old daughter. Well, and just to your point as well about these men seeming like they have respect for the women in their circle but none around them, I still don't know if respect is again the right word. Yeah, it's probably not. T.I. said in the past when Hillary Clinton was going for presidency, not to be sexist but, which is how every good non-sexist oh comment God. starts, I just know that women make rash decisions emotionally, they make very permanent cemented decisions and then later it's kind of like it didn't happen or they didn't mean for it to happen. This is coming from the guy who spoke about his daughter's uvula <laughs> on the podcast. So he doesn't make rash decisions, does he? Yeah, so women, us, we make very rash decisions emotionally, oh. cemented permanent decisions and then later it's like it kind of didn't happen. Isn't that just atrocious? But I think that informs an attitude not just about women in general, but obviously about the women in his circle. I think Mm. that's so horrendous. Mm. I do wonder how much relevance his lyrics and his music has in this kind of context. Like, is is that hypocrisy worth anything? Or is this standalone case so horrendous that his music is completely irrelevant? I don't think it's completely irrelevant. I think I am concerned about men and artists like TI shaping culture in general. And I really think we have a tendency sometimes to turn our noses up and say that men like TI are backward and misogynistic and we'll just leave them and not discuss them or talk about it. Not worthy of changing, right? Exactly. They're like a lost cause. But I'm concerned that men like TI have these thoughts and these feelings on the world and women's place within it. And those thoughts and feelings are bleeding into our culture again and again and again. Every time one of his music videos appears in the gym or his song plays on the radio, we are being infiltrated with these sexist views. If you go back through his music and you read what he thinks about women, he is misogynistic. Like point blank, no way around it, this man is misogynistic. One lyric from another song is, I never fuck a bitch if she don't do her hair. No more. You won't get no dick if there's a bush down there. Girl, I should see nothing but pussy when I look down there. We often downplay lyrics like this as being irrelevant or not important and men like T.I. is being irrelevant as well. But he shapes culture. Artists and particularly artists with huge platforms, this is a man who streamed tens of millions of times a month, is shaping how other men and other women see themselves and see the world. And I really don't think we can underplay that. I agree with that. I think his words definitely matter. I think his attitudes definitely matter. I think it's so easy when we look at lyrics so aggressive like that to see them as almost mutually exclusive to how we live. But I think the reality is language matters. Like the words that men or boys or even young girls might be singing to describe women, just the idea that women are sluts or bitches, like that has to be in our vernacular somehow. Mm. That has to be in our vernacular somehow. And I can't see a world where if it wasn't part of music, where else would we be using those kinds of terms? Yeah, totally. I think we also need to acknowledge that this is not just about rap. We're also two white women and I know that rap is very heavily populated by people of colour, but I don't think this is about rap. This is about music more generally I think music really allows misogyny to thrive uncritically I think that's absolutely right I don't think it's about rap at all although rap does have a history of misogyny Mm. like I don't think we can deny that I think it would be foolish of us and damning for us to make the assumption that it was built on misogyny though it wasn't but it certainly evolved to a place where misogyny can thrive I do think like you said we are two white women talking about rap music but I actually think this is indicative of music more generally of art more generally or of people with platforms more generally Mm. 
Absolutely. I'm really curious as to what you think about one piece of research I found from 2012. This was quoted by Dr. Victoria Williamson. She's a music psychologist. She went to a conference and she said in an interview that there was a researcher presenting and they revealed that women's attitudes to the content of rap lyrics when they are read is very, very different to when they are listened to or when they are watched in a music video. The researcher found that women have much more negative attitudes about the nature of lyrics when they are read, less so when they are listened to and significantly less so when they are watched. I think that's so bang on because I'm thinking about my own experience, right? Sometimes when you're listening to something, it's much harder to grasp uh, I don't, and I know I know we're talking generally right now, but it feels harder to grasp uh, the gravity, the scope of yeah. what's being said. I think in a video, often you're not even consuming the detail of in front of you, but when you've got words in front of you, you can see, and you can see word after word and a phrase painted for you in front of you. It's very hard to ignore the meaning behind it. I think the music videos as well are so guilty of glamorizing rape culture, glamorizing sexism. They're often dressed up as like fun house parties, and women are in cool lingerie and they're wearing designer clothes and it's all like a glitzy, glamorous affair when really when you see it written down on paper, you realise just how fucked up so much of the music industry is and how much it lets the patriarchy just bleed into our minds. I did want to finish on a quote from Clementine Ford because she wrote a really brilliant piece in 10 Daily this week about this story, Mish. Did you read it? Yes. And she finished with this, which I thought was a really great way of finishing. And by the way, virginity isn't even real. It's a cis heteronormative construct designed to keep women from becoming fully empowered sexual sexual beings who dictate the terms around their own sexual desire and enjoyment. And I think that's exactly the point, just to come full circle. I think if we have smart conversations about women's sexuality and women's virginity, often we might be able to erase the need for conversations like the one we just had. Rise and shine. Hey guys, Mish popping in here. I've just been editing this next segment and realized that Zara and I swore a truckload of time. So to save your ears and the ears of any little tiny people listening, I'm just going to beep them out. We're all for a bit of an F-bomb here at Shameless, but this next segment we went way, way, way overboard. So enjoy and enjoy the beeps. There are many. This week, Elle magazine published an excerpt of Lindy West's new book, The Witches Are Coming. The piece was titled, Actually, Dresses with Pockets Are Bad, because of course, dresses with pockets are really bad. Get Oh, I posted the link in our Facebook group and, well, if people had pitchforks, I reckon I'd be sufficiently pitchforked. So I challenged Michelle to a very serious debate. Why and how do you justify having pockets on dresses as being a good thing without spinning me the same basic shit people usually do? In order to decide who won. (laughs) I didn't even need to prep for this. I'm ready. In order to decide who was going to win this debate, we decided our community manager, Annabelle, would be adjudicator. I actually promised <laughs> Annabelle a pay increase and a free lunch over Slack today. Annabelle has sense. I, Annabelle's a law student. I have <laughs> no doubt in my mind that she'll see the light and move towards it. Annabelle and I also had a discussion when you weren't in the room that she secretly agrees with me. That, okay, first and foremost, welcome, Annabelle. Hello. I have, yes, I have a preconceived opinion. But- <laughs> Which I think you need to let go of. I know. I'm, I'm going to try my best. I think what we should do is it shouldn't be on whether you're convinced at the end. It's who puts forward a stronger 
argument. Okay, great. And then after Annabelle makes her decision as to who wins the debate, we will put a poll not only in our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, as to who you guys agree with, <laughs> we will also put one on our Instagram story. Michelle's eyes are bulging out of her head right now. Okay, fine, we can do that. But might I reiterate, it is not whether you agree with the person, because I understand I'm in the minority, it's who had a more convincing argument. Can we just remind everyone what the debate's actually about? The debate is about whether pockets on dresses are bad. I am for pockets on dresses are bad. I am against pockets on dresses are delightful and I love them. And I'm supposed to be neutral, apparently. You are meant to be Mm -hmm. neutral. Might I ask before we really get in today what your judging criteria is? I'm just going to go with my gut. Okay, great. That's that's accurate and scientifically robust. <laughs> Let's do it. Sturdy as. We also have music to intro this very special segment this week. I feel like we're on the Olympics. All right, I'm going to start today. Um, the first point that I would like to present as to why pockets on dresses are bad <laughs> is the idea that I think women actually like the idea of having pockets on their dresses but don't actually like the reality of them. Okay, so what I mean by that is women look at a dress with pockets and think, great, practicality. But the fact is they're not actually practical. They're not practical at all. I would like to put forward this thought. Oh, Michelle's writing notes. I'm just going to, if you hear a keyboard in the background, that's just me (laughs) making my note for my rebuttal. I would like to put forward this point. They aren't sturdy. And for that fact, they're not practical. Pockets need to be sturdy, Michelle, in order to function. They need to be able to hold stuff. They need to be able to hold weight. I want you, look at me, I want you <laughs> to imagine like a free-flowing dress, like a flowy. I don't wear last, those kind of dresses. I want you to imagine one. Okay. Pretty w- rare style of dress in 2019, <laughs> no, but go for it. I want you to imagine, fine, imagine just a normal shift dress. Yes, I have many. I want you to imagine pockets on that dress. Yep. Now, I want you to imagine... Don't need to imagine, I've got it. ...the strength of that linen dress. Pretty strong. No, no, the pockets <laughs> aren't strong because they don't have the strength to carry what we expect of them. Your phone will flop the f*** out. Are you done? Is that, that your was, first point? I think so. I actually think I accidentally gave up like seven <laughs> points in the first one. And oh, now no. I'm like, what else am I going to argue? <laughs> Do you reckon anyone listening to this can tell that nobody at this table ever did high school debating? <laughs> yeah. Before we sat down to record this debate, we literally had to Google what the opposition team is called. Because Zara was like, I'm affirmative and you're the opposition. I'm like, that's not it. It's for and against. My rebuttal to you, Zara. First of all, very valid opinion that flowy dresses, not built for pockets. Very totally agree. Would you agree that you would rather have the option? I would rather have pockets there and go without them and not use them and bring a handbag than not have the option to hold anything on my body, Zara McDonald. Therefore, pockets that go unused are far, far better and more ideal than non-existent pockets where I don't even have the option. It's not your turn to rebut yet. <laughs> Shut your little mouth. Now... I knew that you were going to take this debate down an illogical, ridiculous path where dresses with pockets look silly because they're weighed down and they don't hold anything we need of them. I know for a fact when we go out together, you bring one thing, a phone that is linked to Apple Pay where you can pay for everything. You don't even need a wallet. You might have a set of keys and that's it. Are you trying to tell me that a linen dress with pockets, stop dancing, you don't have a point that can come back to this, that you couldn't hold a phone, an iPhone in a pocket in a linen dress with a set of keys in the other one? Because I do it regularly and I think on a night out on the town, which is something that should never come out of a 25-year-old's mouth, a night out on the town, I want to have the option of not having to bring a bag. They hold me back. 
and I don't want that and I want my pockets and if I don't use them, that's fine, but I need the option there. Okay, a couple of things. Your entire point just then was structured on the basis or an assumption that I only ever bring my phone, which is incorrect. Think about my little lip gloss, my keys, my other stuff. Your entire point was based on an incorrect fact and that fact was that I only ever bring a phone out. So I'm just going to put that to the side. Secondly, you said, wouldn't you rather have the option? No, I don't want the option because I think pockets the aesthetic of dresses. How so? Because they kind of loop out. <laughs> they kind of bulge out. Well, on some dresses, maybe. But on if most, that's the case, I'm happy. To, I'm happy to say so dumb. I'm happy to say. Go most. on, make your point. I'll just. Sit and back. my third point in this greater point is that you keep saying I would so much rather have dresses with pockets all the times I go out. You've never actually worn one, so if you think <gasps> they were that brilliant. That's a lie. Uh-oh. Oh, Sarah McDonald. <laughs> You've just based your entire argument on a mistruth as well. I absolutely have dresses with pockets. You'd Would you like me- to come back? You're coming to my apartment tomorrow morning. Would you like me to take you through all my dresses with pockets? Okay, fine. That's your point. My <laughs> next point is if we're moving on the idea that dresses with pockets – sometimes have sturdy pockets. So let's move to a different category of pockets. And you know what? In some magical universe, there is a pocket that exists on a dress that may be sturdy. What do you put in there? If you stuff them, you end up with like little mutant legs because you've got stuff everywhere. How much shit are you carrying around? I have spent a great part of the last four years by your side and you don't carry that much shit. That's All a of a sudden, you're you... acting like you're carrying bricks around I am. CBD. You say to me, I have too much shit on me all the time. I'm always carrying my toilet bag. But okay, of course you're oh, going to bring a handbag to work you? with your... <laughs> Hang on. Your face. Hang on. Right. I'm talking about when we go out. I'm talking about when we go out to a restaurant or out to a bar. You are not bringing a heavy bag with a laptop and a phone charger and all this random shit in often it. Because men manage to go out of the house all the time with just their pockets I and often... it's totally fine. Yes, because they put their stuff in women's bags. I would wonder if you had another original point, Michelle, rather than rebutting many of mine. I actually do. Would you like to hear one? Yes. We all know that kids' fashion filters down from women's fashion. Would you agree with that? Like, I guess. We all know it's true. You don't even need to agree. I want my future daughter to be able to carry around her little figurines and her toys and whatever the f*** she wants to carry around. And if we start getting rid of pockets on women's clothing, we know very well that that will then filter down to kids' clothing and they'll be taken out of little girls' dresses. And we have fought for so long for pockets to be in women's dresses. This is about feminism and progression and the future. And I want my daughter to be able to put her figurines in her fucking dress pockets and be done with it. I just want a little bit of silence to reflect on the horror that was that point. <laughs> that was Annabelle, one, it, was, it was unique. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the worst arguments. You're not a bad arguer, Michelle Andrews. I'll, I back you. I, I love coming up against you because you're strong. You have strong points. That, that was horrendous. I think you're playing a bit of mind <laughs> with Annabelle here. You're hoping that young Annabelle, Annabelle, how old are you? 22. You're hoping that the 22-year-old will hear that you Don't think it's you a bad Patronizing. Point. Annabelle has I'm a brilliant brain. Sure. She has agency to think for herself. My next point, potentially wildly unpopular opinion. Also wildly unrelated, but Annabelle, I'd like you to know that the majority of the time it's me depositing your pay into your account every oh, fortnight. Anyway, continue. What yeah, were you saying? I can easily cancel it. For about my seventh point today, a potentially wildly unpopular opinion, but I think pockets on dresses make all dresses look like aprons. What? 
Yeah. Wrong. I think Again, all- a unique point. <laughs> <laughs> My final point would be there is nothing cuter or easier to do than pose with a photo when your dress has pockets. It makes any photo very cute and very easy. And I love posing in a dress that has pockets because I often don't know what to do with my hands. And it is an easy place to put your hands immediately. Which brings me to my conclusion, (laughs) Michelle. I think women like pockets theoretically. I'll come back to my point. I don't think many like the reality because I haven't trialed it. I think women like pockets theoretically for two reasons. Because they have a comment to make when they get a compliment, you know, I love your dress. Oh, thanks. It has pockets because we're really bad at accepting compliments. And secondly, because we don't know what to do with our hands when we pose. So we use pockets as an excuse and we should just be better with our hands. Okay. My conclusion, isn't it better to have that option if you're bad with your hands? No. In what world? Is that a good argument that, oh, well, we don't know where to put our hands. so We put them in our pockets. Okay. At least you have somewhere to put your... No, no, no. It lulls us into a false sense of security. And I think as independent women, we need to work out what to do with our hands rather than hiding them. We need our hands to be on show. Don't hide the hands. I'm really happy to just leave it there. I don't need to come back with anything (laughs) So am I. So am I. And also, actually, my final final point. No woman with dress pockets has ever left the house without a bag. I disagree with that. I know friends that do that. Yeah, well, that's all anecdotal evidence and that doesn't count. Maybe you're just really high maintenance no, and you feel like you need to bring a million things out of the house when you do not. Is that all your arguments? I didn't need many. It's a pretty basic argument. Guys. Sorry, Annabelle. <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off. My delightful employee who I love and adore and cherish. It's better to have them and not use them than not have the option at all. That's my final closing no, statement. I Please, still, Annabelle. I still disagree with that because they the you don't the get dresses to finish. Don't cool. You don't get to finish. You started. You don't get to finish. I make the rules. Annabelle, who won? <laughs> I thought you were going to like try and talk me up, try and get me no, no, on no. your side. Well, I, I thought the pay thing was enough. Do you want to go hungry? I just want <laughs> I just want equality. I just, okay. want a fair, I just want a fair debate. I want equality and I want pockets on men's and women's clothes. Firstly, I think that was a healthy argument. A lot of personal attacks, though, <laughs> which I'm not sure about. I think – do you have like a drum roll sound effect? We sure do. Okay. Here we go. The winner is – I think the winner is Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Because your final point of the <laughs> awkward hands thing, because that's like my sole reason why I like pockets. Mm. And for security, I think a lot of women Totally want fair that enough. Security. Great point, Annabelle. Yep. <laughs> Me too. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, Unless what? your Instagram post really. Okay, so this is really a, um, a, a decision in pencil can be rubbed out. No. Pending. Pending. No, Not no. Decision. Yeah. Dep- no, I won. I'm pretty sure I won. And on that note, I think I'm just going to skate on out of here. That is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we will be in Facebook, in Facebook, on Facebook, in our Facebook group. Amazing. You got there. <laughs> Losing doesn't suit you. <laughs> <laughs> off. Shameless podcast community. Where else are we? We are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Annabelle, you're on Instagram. What's your Insta oh, yes. bio handle for Imogen? We should get some followers over following Annabelle. It is Annabelle Lee, but in Instead of the L's, they're actually ones. That's very I'm fancy. Super fun. That's it's very millennial. <laughs> no, you're not even millennial. You're Gen Z, Gen X. Am I? You're something. Yeah, that's what the young people are doing these days. The ones instead of the L's, numbers. numbers instead yeah. of letters. And of course, we are still madly prepping for our live shows yes. next week. Thanks to one of our major sponsors, The Body Shop, the original nature-inspired, cruelty-free beauty brand fighting for a fairer and more beautiful world since 1976. 
If you guys do have suggestions for topics or people you want us to pull on stage, don't forget to message us. We will be back in your ears on Thursday with another In Conversation episode. Goodbye, Zara. Goodbye, Michelle. (laughs) See you in about two minutes. Bye, listeners. This episode of Shameless was recorded at JustCo, Asia Pacific's leading co-working space provider. Join hundreds of businesses growing their network with JustCo's flexible membership plans. Sydney and Melbourne-based Shameless listeners can experience a week in the JustCo community with a free trial by following the link in our show notes. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.